Hey listeners, welcome back to a fresh episode of Immigrantly. I'm your host Sadia Khan and I'm so excited and a bit nervous about today's conversation and you'll find out why. <laughs> But before that, let's talk about this season. Now, most of you who follow us or have listened to our last two episodes know that love is on display this season. In late months of 2020, we basically polled our listeners on Instagram to ask what you get to hear. By the way, a side note, if you don't follow us on Instagram, our Instagram handle is at immigrantlypod. Do consider following us. And now back to the poll. Well, what we found was that love was a visible thread through topics like relationships, self-care, sexuality and culture. And that's how we decided to dedicate a whole season to love and relationships. With that said, we also love it when you reach out to us. Anytime you have a suggestion or comment, find us on Instagram at immigrantlypod and Twitter at immigrantly underscore pod. Now, talking about our podcast, those of you who follow us regularly know that connection and community are at the core of this show. So, if you want to support us further, subscribe to our Patreon, especially because we have new tiers with exclusive content. You can find links to our Patreon on our website, immigrantlypod.com or on our Instagram in bio. And now to today's episode. Well, today it's just going to be me and of course our guest Shah Jahan and I thought given the nature of the content and to allow for deeper exploration, the conversation should be led by women. Why not, right? And I'm going to be upfront here. This episode really pushed me outside of my comfort zone, which says a lot considering all the guests and topics we have covered on this podcast. My interview with Annalee, our today's guest, who is the owner of the wellness company Lioness, unpacks gender and sexuality, womanhood, bodily autonomy, and pleasure against the backdrop of heritage and immigrant culture. I am sure your interest is already peaked. Though names really do their owner justice, but here's what I'll say about Annalise's company, Lioness. I have found it fitting. Lioness is the first and only smart vibrator on the market. And what makes it so smart, you may ask? Well, it allows users to visualize their sexual arousal on an app through technology like AI and temperature sensors. Quite interesting. But beyond its niche, Lioness is a telling legacy of Anna's journey from a complicated childhood where sex was associated with pain and shame and into a position of innovation focused on female pleasure and health. While the inspiration for this conversation was a state-of-the-art Bluetooth pleasure-inducing device, it was the intangibles that really touched me, made me reflect and ask questions 
and i hope i really hope you all will find yourselves similarly compelled so let's dive in are you ready i am yeah thank you so much for coming on this is definitely new territory for immigrantly <laughs> aka me <laughs> 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 totally understand. So I'm really excited and the interesting thing is I was listening to a few of your podcast interviews. You talk about your parents and your mom and how you grew up in an immigrant household. I've said this previously, I am that immigrant parent, right? So, <laughs> so I'm sure we'll have some fun dynamic here. I want to jump right into your product Linus yeah. which is world's first smart vibrator very interesting so i was looking at your website and i just stumbled on how it works session and i was just trying to find how this product is different from other vibrators and sex toys on the market for one it's visual communication of orgasm which makes it different from others the chart by the way looks like stock market charts is that something that it was supposed to look like i'm not sure if you want your stock market charts to look like that but yes it does look like complete um some people have called it like it kind of looks like heart rate ekg all sorts of different things but um the point is at the end of the day it's just a graph just as like any other biofeedback graph would look like um which makes it a lot of fun. Right. So you're a tech engineer. I have three engineers in my family and my dad always says that you give engineer a problem and they'll solve it. And that's exactly what you did, right? Yes. Most of why your vibrator works is because of science, because of how you're targeting nerve endings and data is reflected into our app. But I wonder and and here's the question when you conceptualized this product was there anything else you wanted to solve beyond the basic mechanical or structural issues that you saw in vibrators out there Yeah that's a great question so actually when we first started the company about 7 8 years ago we actually didn't have in mind doing something that's biofeedback that gives you data and understanding of your own body what it really started out as it was our dream of being like You know, there's so many different um sex toys in the market and one of the big things we've noticed is that it's an extremely male dominated space. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times uh products that are built for people with vaginas or women and women, a lot of times those products aren't actually designed for us with us in mind. And right. so um one of the big things was like maybe we should make a AI vibrator that kind of is like changes positions changes the motor strength and like it's just a really smart vibrator so the more you use it the more it gets smarter and smarter it just knows everything about your pleasure huh. um and as we pursued that idea one of the big things is like we started reading research papers after research papers all the different things we could possibly find on sexual function and it's actually not quite it's not as many as we would have hoped and i think still to this day there still is a lack of sexual function understanding for female sexual function versus hmm. if you talk about male sexual function we're talking 
thousands and thousands of different research mm. and so much money pumped into that industry versus for female sexual function, we realize, well, we don't even know how to build this vibrator because we don't even have enough data and information and science behind um, making what what makes women, you know, what where is the pleasure coming from? What makes it better? What makes it worse? And so we kind of were like, okay, we need to go from back to square one and just really wow. even focus on that. Wow, that's that's neat, though, because you did come up with an incredible product. By the way, I was looking at the price point and I may be digressing a bit. It is on the expensive side. Again, as I was researching for this episode, I started looking at different prices of vibrators and it mm-hmm. seems like vibrators are mostly between 25 to 75 dollars yours is on high end which in a way becomes more exclusionary um mm. in some ways is that a concern is that something that you guys intend to address in the future yeah so that's a great question as well so i would say typically uh one of like the ones you would get like maybe in an adult toy store they do range anywhere i i would say honestly like it's really hard to find one even that's like 25 dollars at this point mm-hmm. um one of the big things is that the sex toy industry is not regulated by the fda um, because it's still considered a novelty device so that kind of leaves a lot of the companies and manufacturers up to them in terms of what materials they use is it body safe like none of that actually goes through any regulation of any kind and so what it becomes the question of is is the $25 ones good material so uh, so we always say like the big thing is like it it has to be non-porous material and a lot of times if it's like that clear jelly kind of um, material that is like in that $25 to like maybe $40 range it tends to be not silicone so um, it tends to be porous and like will melt over time but so one of the big things for us is that actually a lot of sex toys now in this industry are kind of in that um, 80 to 150 range Uh, but then the interesting thing is that uh, I still really stand by this as a mechanical engineer uh, from <laughs> consumer hardware is like if you break apart any like we do tons of teardowns of different products and just understanding like where you know what what it looks like internally um, if it's not a smart vibrator there it's it's pretty much a battery a, a PCB that has an on off button controls the motor and then a motor wired all together versus ours we because it's almost more closely aligned to I would say like an iPhone or something that you have as a hardware product that Hmm. is you know Bluetooth enabled we're doing firmware updates over the air so your vibrator is always updating with new features so we do kind of go into that realm of just we made sure that it's one using the highest quality material but also um, the most electronics but I totally understand the like the it's 229 is not always an accessible price point for most a lot of people, but yeah. I think the cool thing is that um, it's it's a good investment of like once you buy this one because we're constantly updating, but we are still working on different products that come out in the future. 229 is actually quite reasonable compared to a lot of the vibrators that are out there that are going to actually be in the same close to the same price point that doesn't have um like high-tech capabilities that's so interesting and thank you for mentioning that this conversation is for everybody who has vaginas so it's not specific to cisgender women um we want to be inclusive now i feel like your company is representative 
of many different registers right it is led by women it is for women it applies something which is incredibly smart and mechanical to something which is so innate and so basic which is sexual arousal right and third it is founded by someone you who grew up in an immigrant household which had eastern cultural values um and i can mm-hmm. totally relate to that i grew up in pakistan south asia so yeah uh can you share how you navigated sex talks growing up and if that even happened in your household uh, because yeah. i am really curious to know more about your own journey with sexual empowerment and sexuality Absolutely. So one of the really fun things I like to tell people, because this is my, I think I'm in year seven of us working on this full time. Um, so when when I talk about it now, people are like, oh, you're so open about your sexuality. Like you talk about like your orgasm data, like all of this stuff. Um, did you always just grow up in like a household that was really comfortable? And I always have to preface it of like, I actually grew up in a, uh, so I grew up, I was born in the U.S., but I moved to Korea when I was a baby. Huh. Uh, we moved back to Korea because my parents were originally born and raised there. And we, so I grew up there till I was six and came back. But we grew up in a very conservative, I almost want to say like a really strict conservative family where we really set our minds on this thing of my parents were going to sacrifice everything they had in Korea to come back to the U.S. for uh, for their children to pursue the American dream, which was hmm. going into maybe tech, maybe, you know, being a doctor, lawyer, and then going into corporate life and kind of doing that and then repaying um, our parents for all that they had sacrificed. Huh. So we actually grew up in a really strict religious family. So I actually never, ever, ever had any conversation that had to relate to sex in any shape or form. I think my parents definitely, when we moved to the U.S., left it to, um, you know, the public school education system in middle school and high school for me to learn those things. But it, the, maybe the closest that I've ever gotten to talk was my mom. Even, she didn't even say what it was. But she was <laughs> like, if anything happens, she's like, she's like you can't go like your brother's not the person to talk to your friends are not the person to talk to like you have to talk to me like this is very very important by the way this is what i tell my daughters i have two teenage daughters and this is exactly my <laughs> language just come to me <laughs> that's so funny yeah so i um so i always was actually really scared of my own body well into my mid 20s hmm. um one of the big things was like I experienced like trauma, like childhood trauma that had to do with like sexual trauma when I was a child. And so for a long time, because that was something that we I've never had an opportunity to like explicitly really work through or, you know, I, I for me, especially when I was growing up, like therapy was not really a thing in our household. Mm. Like I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what depression was, anxiety, like none of those things were actually manifested into terms that I could be mm-hmm. like oh that is what I'm feeling and so I always just knew that I never felt like I owned my body or I felt comfortable with my own body and so even with partners that I've had you know in the past a lot of times I had a really hard time communicating like what I liked what I didn't like um so I always for me the really interesting thing here is that 
Um, mine is actually for, I would say almost all of our team, actually, we all kind of have that similar story of like growing up in pretty conservative homes and not feeling comfortable with our own bodies for a long time. Hmm. Um, so, which is why we think the emphasis is like so important is that it's this idea that if we can get chances to talk about it, understand our body, learn and see actual data of like, oh, this is just physiologically how my body functions. This right. Is, it's just how it reacts. Like, this is what makes me turned on. This is what doesn't make me turned on. Like, it it comes into a point where you feel so normal and also just like really understanding and confident of your own body. So for me, like this was, I, I always say like, as us building the company, one, I, I never thought I was going to do a sex tech company and or a startup in that <laughs> regards. Or my parents, I'm sure, were very, to this day, very like, how did this all happen? So um, I always, I don't know, I can't, I, all I have to say is like, life is just so funny in that way. Like just, you know, things happen, like things just kind of fall into place. And um, so, yeah, my parents... Definitely did not expect this from me. I think they were very much like I graduated as a mechanical engineer. I went to go work at Amazon and they were like, perfect. Like, this is what we wanted for like, you know, our children. Like we wanted them to stay here. And I'm I actually when I quit, didn't actually tell them that I quit the Amazon job for like a good year because I was so nervous about kind of it was the first time breaking out of the mold of like I'm not doing I'm doing something that I want to do and I had a really hard time balancing whether it felt selfish to me or I was doing something that Mm. felt right that's kind of how all of that I think (laughs) happened but I am all for entrepreneurial spirit I think you're doing a wonderful job and I'm sure your parents are proud of you And I want to expand a little bit about cultural dynamic that we see. I grew up, again, in an Eastern culture, very traditional values. We never talked about sex. I think you're the, you're probably the second person I'm talking about this stuff to, first being my therapist. Shout out mm-hmm. to her. I still believe that it's important to be respectful, that perhaps our parents or our relatives grew up using a different language and without tools of engagement, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Can we bridge this cultural and generational gap? And if so, how do you see that happening? You know, I, in the same way, like when I first quit my job to work on this company, it was a clear example of like, how do I bridge this moment of, you know, being able to talk about why I'm doing this company, what it is to my parents and have them accept it. Because I did for a long time think that they were going to be extremely like, this is not okay. Like, uh, I don't know, bring me back home, whatever Mm. the case was. Um, And I think for me, the biggest, the two things that I really did uh, was one, reflect on it for myself of how I spoke about Mm -hmm. it because I think when I when we first started the company like I definitely was in the still the realm of I'm the mechanical I'm the engineer of this company like I don't want to have to do anything front-facing where I have to do you know interviews have to say the word clitoris or orgasms like that really made me very nervous and I realized like it if I come off really nervous about things like that, when I talk to somebody else, it reflects that same exact energy. Yeah. And 
at the end of the day, our parents are humans too, you know, but beyond being our parents. So <laughs> I was like, okay, like I have to come into this feeling very, very confident and comfortable with where I am and very happy. And so that was like a really big part. And then the other part I actually really did before I talked to my mom was that I actually hired a Korean um, teacher because my Korean, I would say, is like as great as somebody that lived in Korea till they were six or seven and then moved uh. to the U.S. So it wasn't great. And especially when it came to sexual terms, like I, I don't I didn't know any of that in Korean. Uh, so I actually was like, I messaged her and I was like, hey, this is what I'm really trying to do. Like, is this something you would feel comfortable with? Mm. And she was like, yeah, that's really cool. Like, let's do it. So she actually, we worked on like um, essay prompts or like interview prompts. And uh, especially around kind of what I was working on, why I felt so passionate about it and learning all those different terms in Korean. So when the day came and I, my mom came to visit me and I was like, I'm going to show her our, you know, co-working space. I'm going to tell her why we're working on this. I kind of came in with all of that was like one being able to explain it really clearly in Korean of like, you know, this is what I'm working on. It's a vibrator for female sexual function. And I told her actually like because she knew about the trauma that happened, but it was one of those things like as and I, I don't blame her in any shape or form of it's hard to understand like where to go with that if a child mm. has told you something like that. And then, so I think a lot of it, I'm sure maybe in the background, she had a lot more internal turmoil, but we really swept it under the rug. And so one of the things she was like, you know, I'm really like, she was like, I always wondered, you know, if you grew up okay from that, like if you were, you know, what happened, like, you know, were there problems? And she was like, I can see that you're really just kind of moving forward in life and that hmm. you're happy. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I'm like really happy. And I feel like this is really important for me to work on this company to build something that I feel really, really strongly about. And so she was like, you know, and then she actually from there opened up about her own kind of like, she was like, oh, I used to have a vibrator when I was younger. And I was like, oh, cool. Oh. Okay. And then she went for the next two hours, we talked about like our sex lives and like, you know, and I was, I must have been 23 at the time. And so we were talking about like our sex lives. Like she asked me when I lost my virginity, that's just like all of these things. <laughs> I love that it. I, to this day, would have never, ever thought I would have done with my mom. And we haven't done it since then, to be very honest, because <laughs> it was, a, it was a lot for, I think, the both of us because we've had that much of an intimate conversation I I think like as I got older too like we've been able to have a lot more like just very honest conversations mm -hmm. as like adults I think in the same way in the conversation of bridging generational talks about sex like if that's a really important part that you want to share that experience with your parents like I think we do have to do a little bit of the back work to be able to have that connection um but I yeah I just have to put myself an example of like Mad. if my parents can come to you know a point of understanding with me like I truly do believe that we can do it if you have a business you need a website what's the best way to get a website up and running well choose a website hosting company that makes it simple like pair networks Pair has over 20 years of experience managing the entire digital ecosystem for thousands of online businesses all around the world. 
Bear makes it easy for you with do-it-yourself website building tools and features including simple drag and drop page design. And they have guaranteed US-based support technicians ready to help you whenever you need it. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Right now, when you sign up with Pair Networks, you'll receive one free month of web hosting. See for yourself how easy it is to build your website for free. Visit pair.com slash free to get your first month of website hosting for free by using the code QUICKSTART. That's pair.com slash free promo code quick start to get started today. There's so much to talk about, Anna, in all that you mentioned, but I do want to linger on this a bit longer about Eastern versus Western perceptions of sex. And that Mm -hmm. topic is extremely important to me because of where I grew up and my experiences. Now, from my experience And with regards to Pakistani culture specifically, any topic on sex or related to it was taboo. Mm -hmm. And it is to some degree even now or even more. (laughs) But when I moved to the US, to be honest, I didn't find it as sexually liberating as one would expect. Sure, people talk more openly about sex and sexuality and their experiences with sex and body. Uh, Yet I found that women are more objectified in Western culture and therefore in a way controlled. Because whatever we think about when it comes to sex and sexual empowerment, it's mainly through the male gaze. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I I would say... I agree on a lot of levels of when we started this company, uh, we started in um, the basements of UC Berkeley kind of prototyping. And so everybody was like, you're in Berkeley. It's going to be great. Like everyone's going to be so accepting of the product you're working on. It's the right space to be. I think um, being in the Bay Area, like it's the right space. Like people are going to be so open and understanding. And I think as we grew the company and we started actually pitching to company like uh, to different countries, you know, trying to sell the product and all of that, I always was really surprised how much more receptive Asia has been to like carrying our product or understanding or putting you know investment into it versus the U.S. because I think like as much as times are changing and I think we're riding the cusp I do truly believe like if we're talking about like a wave like riding the wave I do think it's like right before the peak like we're still kind of Hmm. building up to that peak of kind of really normalizing this conversation but absolutely when we start the company um what we are in the industry of is sex tech but the term sex tech didn't actually even exist when we started uh, because it wasn't a thing where we saw you know there we were seeing a lot of women come into being founders of like uh women's health like fertility and things like that but when it Mm. came to sexual wellness sexual uh sexual pleasure it was still a pretty uh, taboo spot, space to be in. I would say still to this day, you're, we still encounter, you know, a lot of people, especially in America that are like, oh, you know, that's like, that's something we can't publicly kind of go towards. Or when we try, when we work with influencers, they're like, this is just something that I'm not sure I could put out to my audience. And it's, it's, 
it's both cultural within the U.S., but also policy-wise of how places like social media treat kind of sexual pleasure and sexual wellness. We're still shifting with the times. I think we're still on the cusp, but I do feel very, very optimistic that because I'm seeing so many people come into femtech, into sex tech, and especially, um, you know, underrepresented communities like women, people of color, really changing and redefining what this Mm -hmm. space looks like. But yeah, I think also, but Asia has been shockingly much more receptive and when I go back to Korea I'm always surprised there's so many stores that are coming up on like the main streets of Korea um, that are more fun and just welcoming and a lot of young people and like Mm. um, couples are going into these stores and like really experiencing that so I think it's really interesting how it's changing all over the world. I like that and to be honest the way I see US society um, right now sexual socialization is quite ubiquitous. Um, You hear about that, but we lack sexual liberation. But I also want to bring in another point, and I'm, I'm really curious to get your view on it. Sometimes I also feel there is this glorification of sex in Western culture in order to somehow absolve the culture from its misogyny. Right. Mm. So if you're like, okay, women can talk about sexual lives and they can talk about their bodies. And yet there is so much misogyny. No, I think that's totally justified. I also would say, I think because it's almost interestingly left up to companies to change the culture of sex. Mm. So, you know, there's and at the end of the day, the question is like, how is this company going to make money? And I think a lot of times the answer for a lot of companies are the porn industry. Yeah. You know, the porn industry is a huge, huge, huge industry that really changes trends, culture and like all of that. And so I think the interesting thing is we were the gap that we're missing as a baseline is that I I 100 percent have understood and why our company was really built the way it was was the question is always you know people come up to us to say of like hey I'm having this problem or like this happens to me during an orgasm or like I'm having difficulty like is that normal am I normal Mm. and I think because of the lack of education we sometimes do turn to things that where sex is so welcome, which is like the porn industry, like different, you know, websites like that. But a lot of times it, the, the biggest thing is like we're lacking the education of just even understanding what where to go, Absolutely. what to learn, what's happening, you know, what is my like, what is it for my, me and my body if my body is changing, if I don't feel like the person that I am inside my body, like where do I go for those resources? I think that's still such a lacking place and so a lot of times when they do turn to things like uh like different i would say the more the typical porn websites there are some really cool uh much more empowered much like safer porn um companies that are coming up that i think are incredible but Mm. at the same time it's if that's all we're leaning on for education i think that's just the continuing gap that we're going to create of like especially the misogyny in uh, misunderstanding fetishizations of you know a lot of Asian cultures like all of those yeah. things continue to happen if we just don't get enough of that education the education um, around sexual just education not even in pleasure just like understanding body and mm. giving terms to like all the different things in the same way I was saying um, 
like when I was younger, like I didn't understand what depression was. And uh-huh. the first time I ever went to a psychologist and he was like, have you heard of the term depression? Like, let's talk a little bit to it. Mm-hmm. And I, it just like opened up this whole world of understanding and just giving me words to communicate what I was going through. And I think that was so incredibly powerful and I would assume if for us like I mean for me too like learning all these different things of how different bodies work why mine works this way why you know other people's you know are different I think that has been such a powerful tool of just feeling um, truly comfortable in our bodies and we don't get a lot of opportunities to really find places to find those answers I love it let's talk about pleasure here's here's what I'm thinking is pleasure the main objective here and i find it difficult to settle on pleasure being the primary reason for exploring one's body and maybe it is more implicating of my learnings and Mm. where i come from but what does knowing your body look like Mm. so I think for me, so I would say very line specific of what is knowing our body look like is that um, so during arousal or orgasms, uh, the one of the best indicators for that is uh, involuntary pelvic floor contractions. So for example, how your vaginal muscles or your anal muscles will squeeze and relax involuntarily is one of the best indicators. Um, There's other ones like Uh, pupil dilation, heart rate increase, moisture, but I would say pelvic floor contractions are probably one of the most defined and most used in research as a definition Mm. of when an orgasm happens. So I think one of the really cool things that we've seen and why pleasure is so important is one, um, everyone deserves a right to feel pleasure. And I think, you know, a lot of people go through that. But the question is like, a lot of people feel not normal or they're like something's wrong or something they're doing it wrong and I think that really leaves and I think one of the big things I've heard a lot and it's very true I think for me too is like you don't really ever get a chance to learn about pleasure for yourself for a lot of people they learn it through somebody else's lens because if they've had sex with a partner like for example, if the partner happens to have, you know, more quote unquote more experience, um this uh, often happens with like I think young women of being like you you have your first interact like sex sexual interaction and then you learn through that partner what sex is supposed to be like what it's Mm. supposed to feel like but you don't actually take the chance to figure out what makes it work for you and so a lot of times even when we're like we're not even telling you to buy the vibrator like just like look at your body like take a look in the mirror like what what does it look like and then also just like what makes you arouse like you know what what does it look like for you to masturbate and I think sometimes that in itself people are like oh shoot like I've never really even done that Mm. um so I think that's the big gap and the cool thing I think with Linus is that um even for me like it kind of sometimes takes like the super sexy you know the very like because I still grew up in that you know mentality of like oh sex is so like it's so like the neon lights I don't know this feeling of like it's so (laughs) raunchy but then it's so cool to be able to have like graph and like biofeedback data Mm. where I feel so comfortable being like to all my friends and I would be like hey look at this graph like this is one (laughs) I like had very little sleep and I think the really cool thing is like 
Um, sexual function is so interconnected to your entire overall wellness. So the really cool thing is like, for example, for, for a lot of people with penises and men, uh, erectile dysfunction is actually a good indicator for a lot of people of different health things that are might be happening mm. with cardiovascular disease, sleep apnea, like all of those different things. But the interesting thing is we don't know too much about female sexual function and what that looks like. But the cool uh-huh. things that we've seen is like because of all the users that we have and us self-experimenting, like things like alcohol will change, you know, your sexual function. Uh, different medications will definitely could have an effect on your sexual function. And then also a really cool one is that an athlete that has been a longtime user of Linus, she one time came back and was like, hey, I think something's wrong with my Linus. I think it's broken. So we started going through like all the diagnosis of like checking the hardware. And then we were looking at her data sessions because she was sharing it with us. And I was like, we were like, did something happen on this day? And she was like, oh, yeah. She's like, that week I had a mild concussion and then from a sports injury. And so we all kind of just sat there for a second being like, huh, like I think there might be something here maybe related to your concussion. And there are a few small studies um, that are self-reported surveys that traumatic brain injuries could have an effect on sexual function. So she was like, you know what? Actually, I thought this was a minor concussion, but I'm going to actually take a pause from my sport and get physical therapy. And so as she got the physical therapy for um, close to a year, we kind of saw her data come back of like the orgasm data she originally had. And so that was something really cool. My co-founder founder and CEO got to present um, at a medical conference of like, here are the different things that, you know, for example, like if you've already are going through the stress of having concussion, imagine if sometimes all of a sudden you realize you don't feel as sexual as you usually do, or you're not having good orgasms, like it adds to the stress of like, what is going on? Like, why is all this happening? But what if there was an actual correlation that we just never really thought about and like a doctor could help you navigate? And so for us, it's very much like the data is very important for us because it expands the understanding and research around overall wellness for people with vaginas and women um, because there's an extreme, extreme lack of it. Uh, And so we just want to help kind of continue building that basis out you know it takes a lot of effort unlearning to basically dissolve those social constructs and all of us are working at it but I do want to emphasize and at least that's what I believe that when we engage in acts of sexual wellness it should be for ourselves Mm-hmm. And it should not be pressured by marketing or social media or even exclusively for our partners, because that's something that women tend to do more, right? We try to make others happy and please others. But Anna, in your opinion, how does one check themselves not to do these things? Mm, I think it really is. I really do think it's, taking the time and I I, this is maybe the most common thing I hear all like very frequently is like oh does that mean like you'll never have a significant other because you're you're just masturbating or you have a bunch of toys or like oh I don't want my significant other to have toys or like masturbate because I have I'm in a relationship like I don't want that to replace me and I'm very always actually there because there's even research studies showing that when 
especially women when they masturbate even in a relationship especially with like toys and things like that it does actually increase the uh, overall happiness and satisfaction in relationships including sexual satisfaction all of those different things Mm. but I think the big thing is like people I think a lot of times people are like okay like should I buy your vibrator like and I one as like a marketing and like business brain I want to be like yeah you should totally buy it but I think all of us as a company like we all started this on a mission and we still are consistently staying with it because we truly do believe in this mission of destigmatizing female sexuality and so a lot of times a lot of our advice and I think sometimes our PR people are like you guys you like have to be like you should buy the lioness but <laughs> it's really the thing of like we'd want people to feel really comfortable with their own bodies like and whatever that looks like to you and a lot of times I'm not even like it's not even about genitalia specific like you shouldn't you know like you don't have Mm. to like be touching yourself or like all of that like if you can even just sit there for like a minute of your day of being like oh this really turned me on or this makes me feel really good or like this doesn't make me feel that good or like taking a bath I realize makes me feel very comfortable like I think even those kind of things are so important to just start feeling like you can understand your body of like embracing everything that has to do with like not just sexual pleasure but just pleasure within yourself and so absolutely I'm very much in the camp of like I think you should totally just take the time to understand your body do you have any advice for someone who is new um but curious about vibrators, do they need to buy it right away? Do they need to go and buy Linus right away? Or is there a reading or reflection you would suggest they do before they jump in? Mm, So I think very practical advice for me would be um, if they've had sexual pleasure experiences, especially like masturbation experiences, Like, what about it made it feel really good? Like, was it clitoral stimulation, vaginal Mm. or anal stimulation? Was it nipple play? Like, all those different things because that will kind of hone down if you do want to purchase a toy. Like, what kind of toy you're actually going for? Because there's going to – it's going to be very overwhelming because there's going to be so many toys and being like, this one does this and, you know, all of these things and kind of starting from, well, what do I like doing? I've done this for a lot of my friends is they've never been to, like, an adult toy store. And if you do live in, like, a lot of the bigger major cities, they tend to have one that's very – like women owned or like very women friendly and doesn't feel like that scary kind of like, I don't know. (laughs) I definitely grew up with like, you know, the ones that are like blacked out windows and it's like very horrifying for a lot of people. Like there are ones that are so incredible at being really like the staff is incredibly knowledgeable and very non-judgmental like they'll help you kind of and so I would say if you have access to being able to go to one of those stores Mm -hmm. definitely just just go in and like you don't have to purchase anything you don't have to you know just have a look around and just kind of even entertain the just having fun with the idea of like oh like look at all these cool things I didn't know something like this existed and I think that's always a really great way um and then also just yeah, like any questions you're ever curious about around the world of sex, like I think like taking a quick search or like looking around, uh, I'll plug our Lioness blog. We actually like a lot of the blog content is actually written by the three co-founders. Hmm. Um, and we really do take a lot of love and care to write a lot of those and make sure they're research backed and all of that. So I think it's a forever growing journey. Like it's not going to be you 24 hours later being like, 
master of sex or anything <laughs> like that. Like, but I think it's just even even the idea of like, oh, I want to just learn more about things is like mm. such a cool, great step to being curious and approaching it from a place of curiosity and innocence. I think most yeah. people don't do that. There is so much pressure to appear to be knowledgeable in this. People pretend to know a lot more than they actually do. Oh, 100%. I was, I'm guilty of it. Like when we, I think early, on the early days, I felt like I had to be a professional, like know everything about everything, right? Because people would be like, oh, so you must just know everything. But I think I'm actually, it's more, it's very honest now of like me being like, oh, I actually don't know that much about that. Like I'm, I'll definitely look into it. Like I'm really curious, but I think that actually makes me feel more of a human to a lot of people because I'm, I'm also coming from a space of yeah. like, Man, this world is so big. Like there's so many things I haven't explored to this day and like, um, and just continuing to learn it. I think it's all a learning journey. You know, Anna, this was such a great conversation. I felt like I was talking to a friend, but in the end, I'm going to ask you something which is not on topic, but we ask all our guests this question because that's the underlying theme of Immigrantly. If you were to describe America, but I'll tweak it a little. If you were to describe America in the context of sexual empowerment, how would you do that? How would you describe it? I would describe it, I think, especially for me, even in the sex tech space or, you know, sexual wellness space, it lacks a lot of diversity, I think, in a lot of ways, mm. and especially just different stories and everyone has different experiences. But I think one of the coolest, and I'm so honestly optimistic, and I, I emphasize this all the time because a lot of times people are like, is America, you know, what's happening here? Like, is it getting worse? But I really do believe, like, it's we're just on that right before the peak of the wave. So it still feels like a lot of fumbling of, like, oh, like, you know, people of color are not represented enough. Mm. Or, like, you know, for me, like, I sometimes feel like the token like Asian person or like person of color at a conference or especially like a sexual wellness conference and things like that. But with that said, in even in the six years of me kind of glimpsing at this world mm. and kind of seeing it move, I, I do feel extremely optimistic. Like in the next, you know, whatever time it takes, I really think that there's going to be such a more understanding of sexual wellness and empowerment of um coming from all stories, like being able to yeah. hear other people's experiences, different stories, like even on this podcast, like being able to talk about me as like coming from Korea and like feeling this like understanding of sexual wellness from my lens. Like I think just being able to hear so many of those like people with disabilities, people, you know, from the LGBTQ plus community, like queer mm. community, all of those things are going to be so impactful in the future of, I think, just it's just going to make this place better. I think we're going to see so many more changes and innovations and all of that. So I do yeah. feel really positive that it's, it's, it's going to be good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Anna. This was so good. Thank you for being here and that too early morning. I drop off my daughter at 8, but to be honest, if I could, I wouldn't wake up at 8. It's too don't early. Worry, I'm not waking. I'm wake. I'm sleeping in tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. This was so good. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. It was awesome that we had a chance to talk to Anna 
about sexual empowerment, sexual wellness. Believe you me, these are conversations that are difficult to have. I've never had them before, as I said during the interview, except with my therapist. But it is in a way liberating. And if you have a story, our listeners, anybody who's listening right now, if you have a story to share, do write to us. And I hope this episode was useful come back next week when we have another incredible guest keep supporting immigrantly because that's how we grow that's how we come back every week take care bye